You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. And a very warm welcome back to Solidarity Breakfast. A left response to the major developments in capitalism. What they trade in is not wheat. They trade in famine. A little dose of revolutionary optimism. I think it's really important to sort of express solidarity globally. It really is a deal by corporations for corporations. The union forever defending our rights down with the black leg. Do you think the ABC's left wing? Don't listen to this program. Solidarity Breakfast, 7.30 to 9am Saturdays, 3CR, 8.55am, streaming and 3CR digital, podcast or audio on demand. And of course, the website, solidaritybreakfast.org.au. Solidarity forever! Good morning, everybody. This is Annie for Solidarity Breakfast on this Saturday morning. And of course, if you're podcasting, that will be for later. Today, we're going to uh, give you an update on uh, what happened at the rally in Sydney for Palestine. Uh, And of course, we know that there are ongoing uh, rallies in support for Palestine because... uh, and that these indeed, these rallies around the world are actually having an effect because uh, despite the fact that the uh, Israeli uh, Defence Force, as they like to call themselves, uh, continue to ravage Gaza, uh, the um, rhetoric coming from the uh, leaders of the Western uh evil empire seem to have been faltering. But anyway, uh, we're going to hear some voices from that Sydney rally and they came from uh, Vivian Langford. Uh, Of course, many of you will be at the Melbourne rally today at 12 at the State Library. There are other rallies and I'll give you a few details about those that are are also happening. Um, The uh, down at... um, uh, in... um, Coburg, uh, there's a rally at 11 at uh, the starting off at uh, the uh, Bell Reserve, which is on the corner of Sydney Road and Bell Street. And uh, they're going to walk down to Peter Khalil's office, which is not very far away. Uh, they're calling for a ceasefire. Northern suburbs call for a ceasefire now. Uh, there's the 12 p.m. Saturday State Library rally on Sunday and of course on Monday there's a snap rally on at the Leavers Reserve in Parkville of healthcare workers who are calling for a ceasefire uh, and stop bombing hospitals particularly. There's been some very gruelling information coming out of Gaza regarding the death of uh, ailing patients and babies and it's it's actually incredibly disturbing, I'll have to say. Uh, but uh, first up in the program, we are going to be hearing some voices from the Sydney rally, which were, was contributed by... Uh, Vivian Langford from the Climate Action Radio Show, which is on 
every Monday at 5.30. Thank you, Vivian. Um, we're going to then go to the Student Strike for Climate, which I was on yesterday, uh, a report from a couple of voices uh, that were there. Uh, we're going to hear from the uh, uh, Uncle Paul and Uncle Pave, um, who uh, are here in Melbourne from the uh, Torres Strait uh, in federal court uh, calling for um, a... Um, it's an issue uh, that they filed against the Australian, uh, Australia uh, and it's an Australian climate case. We're calling for Australia to halt uh, its uh, contribution to uh, the rising tides uh, that is affecting the islands in the Pacific. Uh, they speak at the rally uh, yesterday and um, we also hear from Amelia who was uh, uh, gave a very radical voice really, Freedom, Freedom Socialist member, young woman, uh, part of the Students for Climate Action. Uh, she gave a speech as well. So there were other speeches. It was a very long affair. It took uh, three, three and a half hours. So I deserve a medal. So do they. It was a very cheery day. And it was also uh, very audacious, stopping in major intersections uh, throughout the city. They took a leaf out of Extinction Rebellion's uh, book and uh, took us all the way down to Docklands where apparently, and I didn't know this, there is uh, the Labor Party offices are down, it's hidden away down there at the beginning of the uh, 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 35 tram line and uh, the uh, 86 tram line <laughs> in the wilderness of the Docklands. So maybe there's a, a, um, a message in that. But anyway, uh, we're going to talk to Fiona Tuomi from the other film festival. She's the artistic director. It's a very interesting festival. Uh, this is the week that was, and uh, we're going to hear from Pavali Jopani about the George Crumb Festival. We've been playing a uh, an ad for this particular event, and I thought I'd find out who George Crumb was. And uh, we finish up with a chat with uh, David Glads about the rally for... Uh, uh, refugees, which is on at 2pm today, Saturday, at the State Library, um, Indonesia, Australia's biggest offshore detention centre. They want people to realise that the refugee issue is not over. And uh, in fact, all the lines get blurred when it comes to refugees. You're on Solidarity Breakfast with Annie. Um, and uh, just a reminder... <laughs> Stand in solidarity with Palestine this Sunday. With the most devastating attack ever launched on the people of Gaza, it's time for all of us to stand in solidarity with the Palestinian people. Israel has waged war on the Palestinians for the last 75 years. The Nakba, ethnic cleansing, occupation of the West Bank, East Jerusalem and Gaza. Israel has now imposed a total blockade on Gaza and declared war stopping food, electricity and fuel and launching an all-out attack. We have to mobilise to show our support for Palestine. 12pm State Library this Sunday. Rally to demand freedom and justice for Palestine. No war on Gaza. Free Palestine Melbourne is a 3CR supporter. Gaza 
is bleeding. Gaza is mourning. And as we mourn with them, we will use our voices to tell the world that we will not surrender to the Israeli occupation. Long live Gaza! Long live Gaza! From the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. Now this chant is a chant that reminds the world that was what is happening in Palestine is occupation. What is happening in Palestine is a crime against humanity. This is not an anti-Semitic chant. And we know all around the world that our brothers and sisters from the Jewish faith, they have said, not in our name. So as we know that, in one voice, everyone, from the river to the sea, Massacre, and this is a genocide. And when we say genocide, 
We mean it. We don't just mean what's been happening in the last five weeks. We mean what's been happening to the Palestinian people for 75 years, since 1948. And we will never forget what's being done to the people of Gaza. We won't forget who's doing it. We won't forget who's supporting it. And we won't forgive those people. And of course, that means first and foremost, the Israeli military occupation. The war criminals are corrupt, far-right war criminals like Benjamin Netanyahu. And we also will never forget and will never forgive the Western leaders who are facilitating this massacre. And that means Joe Biden. It means Rishi Sunak, it means Anthony Albanese and all the rest of them. Eternal shame on those people. So we're here today to demand that Israel gets out of Gaza immediately, that they stop the bombing, that they end the siege of Gaza, end the blockade. And we're here today to demand all of those Western leaders stop their support for genocide, that they cut ties with this apartheid state this genocidal state of Israel that from day one has been built on the ethnic cleansing of the Palestinian people. And our eyes, as I said, are on Gaza, but also, me at least this morning when I woke up, my eyes were on London. Don't know if people have seen there. It's a, it's a microcosm. It epitomizes everything that's happening, at least in the Western world now, where you have a government supporting genocide, you have a government that has demonized people like us that are protesting against the genocide, Call them hate marchers. Try to ban their protests repeatedly. Threaten people who protest. And yet what did we see today in London? We saw the biggest ever protest for Palestine. The biggest protest since the anti-Iraq war movement in 2003. Something like a million people coming out for hours on the streets of London to say not in our name say no more to genocide, to oppose these criminal acts and to fight for a free Palestine. And that is the hope of this moment amongst all the horror. The hope is in the unprecedented protest movement that's building around the world. The fact that every, one we, every time we have these rallies, there are thousands of people who have never been to a protest before for Palestine, but they're here now and they're not going to stop here. And we're not going to stop till we get a ceasefire, but that's not the end of it. We're not going to stop until we free Palestine from the river to the sea. In my mother's tongue, la shukur ala wajib. You are not supposed to be thanked for a duty, a human duty. This is a duty of humanity. This is a duty of humanity, which we are all a part of. I acknowledge the sovereign owners of the land that we are gathered on, the Gadigal, and pay my respects to elders past and present. No matter where we are in this country, we are on stolen land. Sovereignty was never ceded. This is, always was, and always will be Aboriginal land. Thank you for showing up day after day, weekend after weekend, for solidarity with Palestine. I am in awe, I am in awe of your courage, your commitment, your resolve for justice for Palestine. Many have said, many have said that Palestine 
is a litmus test for morality, for human rights, and for social justice. Friends, can I say that you have passed this test with flying colors? And could I also say that the Prime Minister Anthony Albanese, the Foreign Minister Penny Wong, and the Labour government has failed this test miserably. The Labour government are heartless, gutless cowards. That is the truth. Both Labour and the Liberals have absolutely no moral compass when it comes to Palestine. They keep banging on endlessly about Israel's right to defend itself. They keep asking us again and again, but doesn't Israel have a right to defend itself? Well, you tell me, you tell me, is murdering 11,000 people in five weeks self-defense? Is slaughtering one child every 10 minutes self-defense? Is starving millions of people in an open-air prison self-defense? Is apartheid self-defense? Is Israel's genocidal mission self-defense? No, no, no. It is depravity. It is inhumanity. That's what it is. And what about, what about the right of Palestinians to just live? When do they talk about that? Never. And in their double standards and their hypocrisy, the Australian Labour government and the cheerleaders of Israel completely ignore the struggle of Palestinians and their right to live. They want to ignore us, but we will not shut up. What's taking place in Palestine is horrendous. The people of Gaza who have survived ethnic cleansing, three wars and a 16-year siege are now facing the biggest attacks ever mounted against them. This will only stop if governments like ours demand that it stop. Here are some ways that you can keep yourself informed and involved. Listen in to Palestine Remembered every Saturday morning at 9.30am or listen to the podcast. Join the APAN mailing list at apan.org.au for updates, news about actions you can get involved in and where you can donate to provide humanitarian assistance. Listen to other news and current affairs programs on 3CR that also cover Palestine. The oppression of the Palestinian people has been going on for 75 years. It has to stop. You can be part of making that happen by staying informed and active. APAN is a proud supporter of 3CR. You're with Annie on Solidarity Breakfast and they were excerpts from uh, the rally that was held in Sydney on the 12th of November. And thank you very much, Vivian Langford from the Climate Action Show who has contributed that to the show over a number of weeks. 
just to remind you that there is a rally at 11 at uh, the Bell Street Reserve in uh, Coburg and it's going to walk down to uh, Peter Khalil's office. Uh, it's part of the northern suburbs calling for ceasefire now. There's a lot of people who come from uh, the Middle Eastern background over on that side of town and uh, they are very aggrieved that their uh, Labor um, representative appears not to be representing their interests. There's also, of course, the Sunday rally, 12pm State Library. There's also a rally by healthcare workers, 4pm Leavers Reserve Parkville. But just uh, There was news last night that uh, just an update on the whistleblower David McBride's uh, case. David McBride is the person who uh, alerted uh, Australia of the... Uh, war crimes being committed by some of the members of the army in our army in uh, Afghanistan. Uh, he's had to um, plead guilty to charges because the public interest clauses in our legislation for whistleblowers do not cover his case. Uh, this is a big blow and uh, it's a, not only a big blow for David McBride, but it's a big blow to Australian democracy. Uh, there's uh, more to be learnt about what's going to happen there. And uh, that's a watching brief. Uh, we're going to move on to the uh, rally uh, that was put on on Friday by the uh, um, students for uh, student strike for climate. Uh, this is the happened in Melbourne. We're just going to hear a few voices. Uh, we um, hear from, first up we hear from Uncle Paul and Uncle Popeye uh, and a couple of others uh, from the uh, Torres Strait who are in town. Um, uh, they are elders from uh, that end of the uh, of the world uh, who are taking the Australian government to court over climate change. Uh, we'll hear from them and we also hear from Amelia, who's uh, from the Freedom Socialist, uh, uh, a high school uh, student who had lots of things to say that were well received by the audience. And I want to really welcome Uncle Paul and Uncle Popeye to the stage, who are two community advocates from the Torres Strait. And they are suing the Australian government right now over their lack of climate action. So can we give it up for Uncle Paul and Uncle Popeye? Good afternoon, everyone. Before I start off, what, what are we here for? When do we want? Now. So we here for exactly the same uh, purpose from Torres Strait, because our islands are sinking. So we here to pass our message to the world and to the government. I know we stand in solidarity with everyone, so we will pass our voice so government can listen. So that I'm saying, what are we here for? When do we want? Now. Thank you.
good afternoon. My name's Duncan Pabai. I'm from the Torres Strait, located in the northern part of Australia. I'm standing here to challenge the government and our communities that are thinking it's a betterment for the livelihood of our young generation to come. Because we are the people of our own rights against the climate cases, justice. That's what we need. I'm very strong in standing here to the Australian, to the world, to the Pacific brothers and sisters to be with us, to fighting this climate change action against the justice to the government. I'm a proud people of the Torres Strait people, standing in proud of all the people around the world, saying this, let's do this together. Thank you very much. Kapu Giga in my native tongue of Saibai Island. Good day. My name is Chelsea Aniba. I'm actually a political leader back at home. But today I'm wearing the hat for climate justice. Woo! I believe in the youths of today having a voice in parliament for tomorrow. Woo! I say youth, you say power. Youth! Youth! Power. Youth! Because the only way we're going to live for tomorrow is having the next generation having a voice in parliament and having a say what happens to our climate and our environment for tomorrow. Thank you, Esso. Bulabinaka and I bring you warm Pacific greetings. My name is Lavetanalangi Seru, and it's a, a really humbling experience to join you all here and also to join Uncle Paul and Uncle Pabai at this morning's climate strike. The Pacific is one of the region that has contributed little to the climate crisis. Yet we stand at the front lines experiencing the most devastating and disproportionate impacts of the climate crisis. And this is the injustice about the climate crisis and this is why we are continuously fighting for climate justice. And I'm really frustrated as I stand here in Nam and join you all here in Melbourne because Australia is continuing to water down and block the ambition of the Pacific Island countries. I've just, I've just returned from the Pacific Island Forum Leaders Meeting in Rarotonga where your Prime Minister Albanese was there and they've watered down the ambition from the Pacific to phase out fossil fuel. Australia, with the new government, has changed its rhetoric. Penny Wong, when she visited 
the Pacific Island Forum said that Australia stands shoulder to shoulder with the Pacific. I say this to the Australian government. If Australia is genuine about standing in solidarity and standing shoulder to shoulder with the Pacific, then end any further expansion of your fossil fuel industry. And fossil fuel subsidies. Yet, since this new government has come into power, it has approved four new fossil fuel projects. There's 100 coal and gas projects are in development. Yet Australia wants to co-host COP31 with the Pacific. We are not going to greenwash your bad record, Australia. As Australia comes to the Pacific offering aid and development aid, offering new climate finance, it is also assuring Japan that it will continue to supply them with coal. And at the same time, it's working hard in the federal court to fight against climate ambition. Australia must do better. Australia must be genuine. And Australia must increase its climate ambition if it truly wants to stand with the Pacific. I thank you. First up, I think we've got Amalia. Amalia, do you want to come up? I can't find them there. There they go. Um, I'll begin today by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which this strike takes place. Um, I extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people here today. My name is Amalia and today I speak for the Warren Student Union. But You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. I also, I also wish to draw attention to the presence of United for Eco-Socialism, a new United Front, which currently incorporates the Revolutionary Communist Organization and the Freedom Socialist Party. We gather here because we know that climate change is irrevocably damaging our planet that it is irrevocably tainting our future. We have watched the tremendous damage of floods and bushfires, which are increasingly becoming our new reality. We have observed these effects globally, in our own backyards and in every continent, devastating those who emit the least. But it is no longer a matter of highlighting climate change as a devastatingly pertinent issue. It is no longer a matter of pleading with the corporations and governments which are driving our destruction. We have been striking since 2019, but we fundamentally need to recognize our power. We gather here, we 
community. Separately, we are mere young people, but together we are a tremendous force. We boldly demonstrate that force today. We have demonstrated that force as we have marched here together. But again, we have done this before. We have marched together before and the right people have not listened. They have only pretended to listen. Our future remains in crisis. Fundamentally, capitalism continues to rule over our so-called democracy. In 2022, the Australian government gave fossil fuel industries over $11 billion. This literally lowered their costs for production and transportation. And in that same year, Australian fossil fuel projects made a profit of $140 billion. The government is literally assisting these corporations in ruining our planet. The minority continues to triumph over the majority. Corporations continue to force the exploitation of our future. Our past pleas have been heard, but they have been dismissed and actively suppressed. Ultimately, our pleas are less convincing than the pleas of money. Our pleas are less forceful than the demands of capitalism. So what do we do when faced with silence? What must we do? We do not plead with capitalism. We do not beg for compromise. We force action. We do not become hopeless, for we cannot afford to be hopeless. We cannot afford to be complacent. We cannot afford to be still. So we cannot just go home tonight and forget our unity and our power and the disgusting destruction of our planet. We must remember the ceaseless destruction of nature. We must remember the ceaseless, veiled murder of indigenous people, of children, of workers. We cannot allow ourselves to forget. We have felt our power today, but we cannot stop at simple rallies. We must organize until the sheer scope of our power overwhelms all resistance. We must organize so as to desecrate all resistance and let it fall at our feet. The sheer, the sheer force of youth has astonishing power if only we harness it regularly and properly with our organization. And what does this organization look like? It can look like student unions, like the Warren Student Union. Um, because unions are not for workplaces, student unions are not just for universities. At Warren Senior Campus and at Northgate High School, we have already established student unions and the potential is tangible. We have the infrastructure to forcefully confront issues within our own schools. We do not need to stay silent and inactive when our issues are not addressed. How 
However, to halt Australia's role in the ceaseless advancement of the climate crisis, we need to be forceful. We need to organise across the entire school system. We need to establish communications and unity across schools. And that involves the action of every student here. We cannot remain isolated, for we need drastic and prompt change. We must unite as students, but we must also unite with others. We must unite with workers. We must unite with First Nations people. We must unite and confront the capitalists who have been allowed to desecrate our planet. We need ongoing collaboration and solidarity and might. We need this so as to preserve our planet and to preserve our future. So as you leave this rally, remember that you should be angry. Become enraged by the fact that our planet burns while capitalists rake in billions. Become radicalised. Make the decision now to reject complicity. Step away from the rally knowing your power. Step away from the rally knowing that your power lies in your ability to disrupt the system. Foremost, do not let today be the extent of your action. Unionize, strike, educate, tear down the capitalist structures of hungry planet-destroying corporations. Remember that our future depends on it. Remember that you are not alone in this struggle. System change, not climate change. System change, not climate change. Thank you. A, uh, logging operation. Any person found within this coop is offending. Can they please leave? You're allowed no closer than the bridge down the track there. Any person that's found in the coop will be arrested and charged. <laughs> I direct that you all leave now. Gecko's turning 30 and we're having a party. The Goongra Environment Centre has been fighting to protect East Gippsland's forest since 1993 and we want a party with you. There'll be music, performances, food, drink, old friends and new friends. What better way to celebrate the end of native forest logging in Victoria? From December 1st to the 3rd in Goongra, East Gippsland. To find out more, go to gecko.org.au. Gecko, 30 years fighting for forests. Get down to the party. Celebrate with us. A 3CR supporter. Here with Annie on Solidarity Breakfast and we're going to move on from these fighting words from the uh, student strike for climate. Fantastic stuff. And we're going to go to the other film festival and we've got Fiona Toomey on the line. She's the uh, artistic director. G'day Fiona, how are you? I'm good, thanks, Annie, and thank you so much for um, having this discussion about our film festival. Oh, it's a really extraordinary film festival, actually. Uh, can you explain to my listeners why it's so extraordinary? Well, uh, oh, thank you. Um, I mean, one of the big differences, and, and I think really important with the work we're doing, that it is um, 
We really send her deaf and disabled voices. Um, it is a disability-led film festival. Um, we work out of Art Texas Victoria, and that is a disability-led organisation as well. But by that, I mean there's actual, you know, the same with the storytelling of our films, there's actual parent agency where deaf and disabled people, where we're actually telling our own stories. Because for too long and still very much in the mainstream screen industry and media, that isn't happening as much as it should be. Well, it was uh, actually Screen Australia surveyed to find out that that was really true. <laughs> yeah, well, they have this. Um, they did a they did a second report that came out this year uh, called the Seeing Ourselves Report, which is a survey of Australian um, television. And I was actually, um, you know, a consultant on that, giving feedback. Um, and because you know, even when you get the report. There's still a lot to, you know, in terms of language and, you know, it's, it's all about intersectionality, but particularly um, for a number of, there's a number of underrepresented communities and sadly um, disability is one of them. Um, and we, you know, we still see what we, you know, call, um, like we want to see authentic casting where that's where actual, you know, people with disability are actually... Um, playing playing themselves, not what's um, kind of known in my community as, as cripping up, which, you know, it's a famous thing to do. You can often win an Academy Award um, by playing a disabled person, but all of that just ends up not... It's just not great. It's, it's sort of um, the ramifications of this... Um, kind of just keeps, it kind of just perpetuates a whole lot of stereotypes and discrimination. Well, it's, it's interesting because uh, I got a chance to see one of the films that's going to be on your uh, playlist, which was Is There Anybody Out There? An amazing film, actually. And uh, Ella in this film, it's like a, a diary film, really, in a way. But she, she says some really fantastic things like... Um, uh, uh, most obvious, ableism is crushing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that it is. We're we're very lucky to have that film, um, Ella Glendening. I mean, she's. Um, it is a diary essay film, a documentary, so a feature. Um, and um, and she, you know, and what's important too is that she's actually the one who's made that film. So it's her voice, her story, but. With a lot of us, with the work that we we do, is that we're, you know, looking at you know the individual stories, but it's the systemic, issue, you know, there's looking at the systemic issues and um, discriminations. But within that, that you know, we all want to have and we do have, try to you know, quality of life and the joys in it as well. Well, well what she's what she's really saying is that there's this um, obsession that there's something wrong with someone who is disabled or differently abled because, uh, and that everybody should be aspiring to being, in inverted commas, normal. Yeah, and look, you can, um, the, you know, our film festival, you know, Alice in the UK, where, you know, the social model of disability, which um, I don't know if you know about that. No, I don't. Something that, well, a lot of us, you know, work to and... Um, you know, why many of us choose to say, you know, call ourselves disabled is like saying with the social model of disability, it's like it's how you're disabled by society rather than 
oh, there's something wrong with me. So, ah, you know, yeah. Ella in that film is really exploring that. Yeah. And, um, you know, not to go into, it's a big, big topic, but there's this whole other argument that, you know, the way disability is framed, the way that, you know, we are the other, we're less than, don't have equity. I mean, that is also um, a product of, you know, colonialist thinking. Yeah, yeah, I see. And and in actual fact, this is why the festival is so um, important. Uh, let's get down to, you're the curator, really, aren't you? I am, along with um, Cass Duncan and CB Mako. Um, you know, we, we source out, um, is, you know, a whole lot of different films, um, but what we're one of the things we're really looking for is actually who's making that film and who's telling that story and who's on screen yeah. as well, as, along with, you know, the politics we're looking for and the vision and we want, you know, within that you still want, um, of course, entertainment, but those values um, really, you know, about equity for deaf and disabled people and, and, and very importantly, um, the intersectionality within that, because there can be criticism and, that, you know, and justifiably sometimes with the disability, a lot of disability movements, there's actually a hashtag, disability so white. Um, <laughs> so, you know... <laughs> yeah, well, um, there you go. <laughs> well, all the privileges in, you know, everything always come to play everywhere, so, you know... Yeah, 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 yeah. It's it, it's true that um, people who are most um, privileged get a bit cranky when someone thinks that uh, they should give the chair over to someone else. Absolutely. Um, I mean, that's called yeah. discrimination, you know. Yes. <laughs> I think that's hilarious. Um, in a terrible sort of a way, very dark sort yes. of way. Um, but uh, the program's really interesting, and it's not just that. I mean, uh, obviously, you're after key creatives, collaborators, and/or performers are actually people who are deaf and disabled people. But looking at the range of films, there's quite a few Australian films. There's short films. There's some features, and also uh, looking at the uh, storylines in the films, they're really interesting. They're quite imaginative, aren't they? It's yeah, a different worldview. Yeah, this is what's really exciting is that, you know, like there's a short film um, from made in Sydney, All, All Silent Dogs, by incredible young disabled filmmaker Natalia. I'm going to get to say her it's very early in the morning, get her name wrong, um, Stawaski. And that, I mean, her film All Silent Dogs is really um, using genre to... Um, you know, really push the envelope in terms of um, it's not it's not it's using all this metaphor around how ableism and um, other discriminations play out. But she's really, you know, within that created this this really um, rich genre world, and it kind of shows too with more support how us as you know filmmakers um, can I think make really um, exciting and much more mature work than we've been often even allowed to in the past. And, and also that's another problem is that, you know, quite a few of these, which is great when films are made out of the system, but at the same time, we should be, that's something we fight for too, that deaf and disabled people can be at the centre of the screen industry as well. Well, that one, All Silent Dogs, I have to give the... Um 
the uh, thing, uh, the synopsis, a teenage girl is faced with a choice. Give up her ability to transform into a dog or face the stigma and societal cons- consequences of keeping it. <laughs> it's such yeah. a great idea. It's such a clever yeah. idea. Yeah. And then once again, it's not, it's, it's very metaphorical, but yeah. that I think in itself, you know, is, is very clever and becomes very powerful. Well, um, is there anybody out there finishes up with the uh, the words um, the world would be um, uh, would be a, a worse off place basically if there weren't disabled people in it? Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean that's oh, absolutely, and um, I think that's why you know there's this whole concept of disability pride um, where you know, because there is such stigma and ignorance and sort of shame, you know, historically associated with disability. So, um, I mean, I know there's a lot going on in the world now and, you know, but originally it's very, you know, um, with the whole, what I was constantly seeing with these films that you're actually making work almost, in, you're in resistance to this, this mainstream often quite limiting and negative understanding about disability. Um, and, you know, that was, that was, that was kind of a major theme just when you're sort of choosing work, choosing these films. I'm also a filmmaker myself. And it's not that there's a lot of strong interest, but you're still having to fight a lot of unconscious bias um, and, and ignorance even, you know, from, uh, from, from from people who do, you know, commit work consi- who as can, well. And also consider themselves to be progressive, no doubt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because um, uh, it says here that um, the other film festival launches Resistance on eight, um, Acme Cinema 3, and yeah, this is one of the reasons. This is so clever. This is what you're doing, which is so clever, and how people can access these films and be part of the festival. Well, first of all, it's very important to us that the films are free um, because we want, not only do we want as many people as possible to watch it, but as I'm sure you understand, you know, a lot of, um, there's a lot of marginalisation and um, poverty within <laughs> the deaf and disabled communities <laughs> and, and it's really important that people can access these films. So we work in partnership with ACME and they have a, streaming platform they call um, Cinema 3 and um, these films will screen across Australia um, for free and it starts um, this coming um, Thursday the 23rd of November and goes for just over two weeks till the following Thursday the 7th of December. Yeah, fantastic stuff. Good work. You've done a great job, Fiona. Thank you. And thank you for talking to me this morning. Oh, no, thank you so much for um, having me and, you know, for wanting to talk about um, our work and the other film festival. Well, you're just very clever. That's all I can say. <laughs> A week solidarity brings the team listener when again we can't ignore but can't satirise as sadly the genocidal slaughter of the landless innocents continues amid the myopic hypocrisy of the so-called civilised world. At least millions of people across the globe continue to call for justice for people who have suffered under an occupying military force for 75 years, all power to them. 
now resume our normal. A week when true blue Aussies are under threat, living in fear, as about 80 rapists, murderers, child sex offenders are running riot across the nation, thanks to the High Court ruling, unbelievably, that after people have served their sentence, it is illegal to continue to detain them, jail them, lock them up, in these cases, indefinitely. This dangerous judgment, threatening our national security, has caring business class party supremo and would-be big supremo, Constable Peter Duffer, springing to our defence, defending us all from being murdered and all raped in our beds. Vampire, werewolf, zombie movies legalised into reality. Streets unsafe, homes unsafe, beds unsafe. And Constable Duffer knows we can't blame the High Court, for the real culprit is the Socialist Government, because Pete knows the Socialists are soft on crime. All right, all right, not all of them have been convicted. Some of them are simply asylum seekers seeking the compassion of our no-proper-papers, queue-jumping, illegal boat-people policy. And Pete knows the socialists are even softer on refugees, on border protection, on protecting us from those fleeing persecution. As an aside... Bet the Terranilius non-land, non-people wish they'd had a border protection turned back the boats policy 235 years ago. Although a bit more information wouldn't hurt, like how many of these major threats to our security are murderers, rapists, child sex offenders, and how many committed minor crimes, and how many are asylum seekers locked up for life for the heinous crime of fleeing persecution. Nonetheless, the government said it would not make any decisions on the issue until their honours released their decision for the judgment. Then, displaying their renowned courage under fire, as Pete and the media predicted murder, rape and child molestation like the country has never seen, the socialists legislated to punish the released for being released. The constable Duffer handcuffed them all legislation obviously presciently knowing this would not contravene their honour's judgments. Are we under threat when other convicted people are released after they have served their sentence? We asked Minister Catherine King hit the desperate. Uh, no, of course not. That is different. Those people have served their sentence. Uh, but, but so have these people. Many have not even been convicted of anything. They're, they're seeking asylum. But they are not true blue Aussies. As Constable Duffer has made clear, and therefore we as a government agree, these people have no right to live in this country. Uh, Catherine, this issue has raised really important issues. Um, security, safety, murder, mayhem. Surely it's incumbent upon the government to legislate that any person convicted of any offence never be released back into the community to threaten security and frighten dear little children. Detained for life, surely it's the only way to protect the community. Good heavens, that would be against all the principles of our criminal justice system. Pete, we ask Pete, why do these people have no right to live in this country? Because they are not like true blue Aussies, showing the socialists are soft on like crime and, you know, like even softer on like no proper papers, queue jumping illegal, you know, boat people. 
Uh, so given that, what do you consider the great quality that makes Triple Aussies different? Like, you know, our great like commitment to multiculturalism. A six-syllable word, Pete. And Pete's dedication to multiculturalism led him to the brilliant conclusion that these vampire, werewolf, zombies, murdering, raping and molesting nationwide would lead to rampant anti-Semitism, revealing his empathetic concern for the Palestinian Semite people and making a connection no one else would have thought of, yet again highlights something we have all admired for so long. Pete's razor-sharp, incisive mind. Like his solution to climate change, if there is such a thing. Small modular nuclear reactors, a generous offer, given he knows there is no such thing. Constantly baiting the government by refusing to consider these scientific wonders, the obvious solution to pollution, showing Constable Duffer in his wisdom also knows something we must have missed, that the same science has solved the little problem of a few thousand years of lethal nuclear waste. Just a pity that the example, the not-so-living proof of this success, has been abandoned in the U.S. of the U.N. of the U.S. of the world, sinking 930 mil of public money with it. 930 mil handed to a private company as cost soared and the technology remains unproven. Pete's 930 mil plus nuclear waste wasted. Not that it stopped the caring business class and hayseed and cheap shit lot pursuing its solution, pointing out that wind, solar and hydro also have a few problems. Yeah, yeah, good point. But at least they do have one small advantage, like they work. Just in case there is such a thing as climate change, generous offer at the Pacific Islands Forum by big supremo Anthony Albing Uzi that refugees jumping off sinking islands can come to Trublawazi and join the slave labour force. A limited number, but the positive is Trublawazi can now go on polluting to our heart's content, knowing we are doing our bit. The great responsible fossil behemoths can continue to make what's left of life better for their shareholders and no need to point out the refugees from those fossils will have to wear shackles and meet all those requirements and face mandatory detention because refugees are by definition a security threat. Still, Pete may be onto something as a headline this week stressed those problems facing wind, solar, hydro. Floods, fire, drought, threaten green shift. Yes, climate change is a threat to addressing climate change. Well, that would explain why the government policy to prevent fossils polluting us is to approve more and more fossils. Coal mines and fracking and gas exploration and seismic testing on whales and all those panaceas. Imagine if the government, unlike the previous government, didn't believe in climate change, if there is. It was also revealed that Anthony Albinguzi had been wined and dined in Canberra by sports bet you'll lose just before the last election, and the somewhat misnomered responsible gambling true blue Aussie, representing the big gambling behemoths, had thrown a huge party for the minister responsible Michelle rolling along with them's birthday last year at an ultra-expensive Melbourne restaurant. 
neither recorded on their register of interest because they were organised by a Socialist Party fundraiser which charges the caring business class 110000 a year, giving them access to government, but which somehow exempts ministers from having to declare a little bit of ultra-expensive corporate whining and dining. On the other hand, some people might be prepared to pay a heap of money not to have to meet them. If ever we wanted a definition of insensitivity, of outright cruelty, this is it. Workers can be so cruel, we often wonder why caring employers bother to put up with them at all. Last week we reported transnational stevedore DP World for Dud the Public was suffering from industrial action by the evil union, even though it big-heartedly offered workers an agreement under which no worker would be worse off. Generosity run riot. Work agreed one of the reasons we suspect Dud the Public was forced to increase its charges by 56% to $191 a container, compared favourably with the non-privatised Fremantle, where the publicly owned inefficient port charges all of $51, showing the huge economic and social benefits of privatisation worth a 380 to 400% premium for the efficiency of the private sector, but then poor DP World copped a cyber attack, making it more difficult to charge the 191, and what support did it get from its greedy, greedy workers? They announced they would maintain their industrial action. No compassion whatever for their caring employer, as sad a definition of cruelty, of insensitivity, as we can imagine. When does the public's wage offer, well, non-wage offer, is doubtless based on its compassion for the common good, its concern for all true blue Aussies, including those heartless workers. As quarterly wage figures showed a 1.3% increase, the highest annual figure ever. And Dud the public knows this could force the Reserve Losses Bank to yet again increase interest rates, and that would hurt all those workers. As wise economists who understand the delicate flower that is the economy point out a 1.3% wage increase is dangerously high, rocketing wages to a mere 2% below the inflation rate. And Dud the public knows, clearly understands, the delicate flower knows the price of labour is the reason for inflation, that crippling 1.3%, while its 56% price increase would have no impact whatever. Poor DP World is learning fast about the greed of workers brainwashed by evil anti-True Blue unions, something the airline which used to be our airline learned a long time ago. Reflected this week in yet another example of the law being an ass when a New South Wales court in a case brought by WorkSafe ruled a health and safety representative had been unfairly sacked when he raised issues about cleaning workers' health at the height of the COVID pandemic in 2020. Following that earlier ruling that the airline which used to be had illegally sacked, or sorry, sadly had to let go, hundreds of employees and replaced them with labour hire workers, justified not the ruling, but the sadly happy to let go bit, by airline which chair Richard Gotcha, that it had sound commercial reasons, uh, such as Richard, agreed, profit. When he makes such a strong case, we have to question the short-sightedness of those evil unions. Finally, 
On that irony that climate change is a barrier to solving climate change, Western Troubler Aussie Supremo Roger Cook, the planet, announced Western Troubler Aussie would have to increase its emissions, its contribution, by extracting and exporting more and more gas and critical minerals required for the world to decarbonise. George Orwell bleed. Good morning. This November, the Australian National Academy of Music presents a festival celebrating the music of pioneering American composer George Crumb. Across four thrilling performances, Crumb's dynamic and engaging music will be paired alongside music by Igor Stravinsky, Thelonious Monk, Edgar Varese and more from the 23rd to the 25th of November at Abbotsford Convent. Find out more and book your tickets at anam.com.au. The Australian National Academy of Music is a 3CR supporter. We're back with Annie on Solidarity Breakfast and we've got Pavali Umpanen, who is the Artistic Director of the Festival to George Crumb. G'day, Pavali, how are you? Good morning, very nice to be here. Yeah, yeah, I I was... um, uh, Tell my listeners who George Crumb is, or was, really. Yeah, George Crumb uh, to music was a little bit like... Um, Picasso to art or Leonardo da Vinci for sort of humanist thinking and combining mechanics in the world. He had a little bit of a theory of everything. Um, George Crumb was an American composer, a really novel character and, and, uh, and a rethinker who had a, had a great uh, and profound sort of classical and modernist training in the, in the art of uh, composing. But he really went out to hear the world around him, uh, the natural world, and what's going on in the humanities side, which wasn't always so great. And uh, he, co- he composed this very, very colorful output of uh, really sort of a, a series of cult works, um, often chamber works uh, of, of music, which have become celebrated uh, across the world. Not so often performed, uh, perhaps because their, their chamber works and, and uh, their performance requires sometimes are, are uh, sort of very special. You need extra instruments. Uh, you need certain lighting uh, th- things around it on, on the stage, and uh, you need musicians who are willing to spend several months learning this course, uh, which are very detailed. And uh, the really beautiful output of of uh, defining works, really. And uh, yes, he passed away in the beginning of last year, and uh, and we thought that. Now, any time would be a great time to make a George Crumb Festival, but now we really needed to do it. And so we, um, we, we came up with the idea of, of celebrating Crumb's music alongside with musicians that he inspired, he taught, and also um, musicians and composers that, that, uh, that inspired him. So that's not a short description, but that's anyway what's no, no, going no. on at, uh, the, at, uh, the, at Adam this week. Yeah, yeah, no, it does describe something important, which is uh, <clears throat> why, uh, I mean, how am- remarkable these performances will be, uh, so that if anybody is uh, interested in this stuff, this is, uh, you should buy a ticket and you should go to these performances, because it's not just a casual, uh, everyday affair, what's going on down at the uh 
well, it's a great venue too, down at the Abbotsford Convent. But um, I was looking him up, and uh, he was born in about 1925. And he, and you know, they go into the fact that he came from an incredibly musical family. But there was this piece in it that they were talking about where he was asked to compose something, and he felt like he was dreaming other people, other composers, just reworking things. And that's when he decided he would. Um, decide to create a new vocabulary, really? That's true. I think um, composition is a very difficult craft and there's a, there's, there's a high demand uh, in that realm to be very original um, and, and composition students are, are really asked to, to be original and, and that kind of like rigid, uh, almost aggressive quest for originality may end, may end up in actually copying the other Mavericks, and maybe, maybe Crum was experiencing something like that. Well, difficult for me to know. For me to know. However, uh, there was a moment in, on, on his career when, when you start to sense this, this, thing, uh, everything uh, that was around him in, in sound, um, and, and a sense of freedom. Really, it's it's quite an interesting that after that moment. Are you still there? Oh, you seem to have disappeared. We'll play a little bit of crumb so that you can get an idea of uh, what we're talking about.
We've got Pavali back. He just disappeared. It was almost part of uh, George Crumb's performance. And the Ab- bit. Ab- absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Something happened. With, this is the digital world, unfortunately. Yeah. Anyway. I, I was yeah, just no, playing was, a little piece yeah. um, uh, from Black Angels, which is one of the pieces that uh, is going to be performed, isn't it? Yeah, correct. Black Angels is, is uh, maybe Crumb's most uh, most famous work and, and a work which is really performed quite uh, quite. Uh, seldom. Um, uh, it's it's a string quartet, and surprisingly, many classical musicians, uh, successful classical music, musicians, when in interviews, uh, when they're asked why they, be, they became musicians, they will name a crumb piece, often Vox Balané, the, the voice of Wales, or um, or Black Angels, as an as a concert experience that they heard this piece uh, early on uh, in performance, and they thought that they they also must be, become uh, performers. The performance of Black Angels is is, is a very very exciting thing. Um, uh, the the string quartet players are are doing multiple things. They're they're singing, they're shouting in the performance. They're using um, playing harmonics uh, with wine glasses and their cymbals that they're playing and all that. So so it's a very uh, sort of complete and very visceral experience, concert experience and a performance experience. But at the same time. Uh, Black Angels, um, as the name gives gives it away, is a very dark piece. Um, yeah, it's about um, the Vietnam War, right? Well, it, it was it was written at that time, and even the even the signature at the at the end of the uh, end of the score says says that it was written. It was written. It says in in, in Latin during the time of war, but Crumb never uh, explicitly linked the, the the piece with Vietnam War, but but it's quite obvious. From the from the titles, the work begins uh, with the, with a movement which is called electric insects, uh, which to some resemble heli- heli- helicopters in used used in battle. Um, so it's it's Black Angels is this moment in classical music where where art and beauty meet the dark side of the world in in a in a simultaneously terrorizing and a very beautiful beautiful way. Yeah, and, well, uh, yeah, you could you it's couldn't a totally uh... unique piece. Yeah, I was going to say you couldn't uh, have a better time in history to be performing this. I'll have to say, unfortunately, unfortunately, <laughs> that 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 is true. It's it's remarkable with Crumb. Um, when we started to to um, to do this festival, we really uh, we really wanted to celebrate Crumb's music, and that's what we're doing uh, because of musical reasons. But then when we took up the masterpieces that we wanted to perform, Vox Balané, The Voice of Whale, um, and Macrocosmos Three. Um, and uh, which is a which is another big piece for uh, two uh, pianists and two percussionists who all play multiple instruments and Black Angels. We actually noticed that in our hands we had works that uh, reflected um, war, works that a uh, work that reflected um, the natural state of the world. Um, uh, Vox Balané is, is a sort of an early environmentalist piece, if you wish, uh, another very famous piece, The Voice of Whale, and, 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 and a beautiful thing to listen to. And then The Macrocosmos, which in a more com- sort of complicated way um, describes the human uh, traversal through this universe. And uh, so Crumb goes very deep, and, and it was almost funny to notice how relevant these works that have been composed a few decades ago are still today in, in facing what what the world is facing at the moment. Thank you very much for uh, talking to me this morning um, and uh, hopefully people will realise what a gem 
we have that's going to be performed uh, the 23rd to the 25th down at Abbotsford uh, Convent, they can get tickets online? Yep, absolutely. So uh, welcome. And uh, the Abbotsford Convent is a great place in, in itself. And uh, we're very proud to be there and, and cramp fits that place perfectly. Oh, you know, before you go, it is really quite sl- slightly absurd that he should have a name like George Crumb, don't you think, for someone who's <laughs> who's a big cake, really? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. This uh, he would have appreciated that that uh, that pun. He he also had a had a sort of a jocular side to him, and and so there is mild comedy in his works always. So <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure he made fun of that himself at some point. This November, the Australian National Academy of Music presents a festival celebrating the music of pioneering American composer George Crumb. Across four thrilling performances, Crumb's dynamic and engaging music will be paired alongside music by Igor Stravinsky, Thelonious Monk, Edgar Varese and more from the 23rd to the 25th of November at Abbotsford Convent. Find out more and book your tickets at anam.com.au. The Australian National Academy of Music is a 3CR supporter. Rising Tide invites you to join the People's Blockade of the world's largest coal port from November 24 to 27 at Mullabimba, Newcastle. One percent of global emissions are from coal shipped through the port. We are in a climate crisis. It can't continue. Thousands of people will gather to demand no new coal and an end to coal exports by 2030 and alternative secure jobs for coal workers. Get on the water or chill out on the beach with live music and more. Register your interest at risingtide.org.au forward slash blockade and we'll get in touch with you. Rising Tide is a 3CR supporter. Change has to come. Change has to come. Change has to come. And you're back with Annie on Solidarity Breakfast and we've got David Glantz on the line. He's from RAC, Refugee Action Collective. How are you, David? Not bad, not bad. How are you this morning? Oh, I'm good, uh, except for everything that's going on in the world, which is sort of uh, a tangible uh, mess. But uh, your speak out today on the Steps of State Library in Melbourne here at 2pm uh, is also shining a light on something that is unfinished business, aren't you? Absolutely. Um, there are literally thousands of refugees offshore who are stuck in limbo because of the policies of the Australian government, first under the coalition and then under Labor. And the biggest number of those are in Indonesia. There are almost 14,000 refugees who have been banned since 2014, so nine years now, been banned from coming to Australia, even if they do so with the support of the United Nations. And those 14,000 people, they can't go back. They come from countries like Afghanistan, Iran, Iraq, where there's no no return. Um, And they don't have any right to work or have a driver's licence in Indonesia. They're living on what are basically the scraps paid for by the Australian government. 
but they can't apply to come to Australia either. And we think this is a total disgrace. Labor, in its policy coming into the election more than 18 months ago, said they would look at this. Well, they haven't looked, and they certainly haven't done anything. And the lives of those people is... Uh, the lives are getting uh, worse and worse. People are becoming more and more desperate. Uh, and we will be hearing from one of those refugees at the rally, uh, by phone, obviously, um, a guy called Hussein Shah Rezai, and he's a Hazara refugee, so from Afghanistan. About half of all the refugees in Indonesia are from Afghanistan, are Hazaras. He's a writer, and he'll be speaking to us over the phone about the situation that he faces and the other 14,000 people face. And we'll also be talking about the refugees who are stuck in Papua New Guinea. People who are listening to the show might remember the, the campaigns and the struggles of the men who were locked up on Manus Island, which is part of Papua New Guinea. Well, that, that story isn't finished. There are still 62 men living in Papua New Guinea's capital, Port Moresby, uh, who have nowhere to go, uh, who have not been accepted by Australia and have not been accepted by other countries. And to be honest, are slowly going mad. And to make matters worse, they are facing eviction from their accommodation um, and uh, no money for medical care and even for food. The situation is becoming absolutely desperate for 62 men. In other words, you could fit them all on a decent-sized tram going down the Burt Street Mall. Uh, that's how many people we're talking about. They should be in Australia, as should the refugees in Indonesia. And we'll be highlighting the situation for them. And last but not least, there is... Uh, a about a dozen refugees, asylum seekers, on Nauru. Uh, there is still a detention centre on Nauru, which the government has committed $400 million to in, a, in its most recent contract. And they sent a boatload of people, a very small boatload of people, who we believe are Sri Lankans, probably Tamils, sent them to Nauru, where they are stuck in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. One of them is a child. One of them is an adult who has tried self-harm. Um, so we're going to be, you know, turning the spotlight on the situation for all these people because the refugee crisis isn't finished. Um, it's just hidden from, from view at the moment. Oh, in fact, I'd say it was being um, uh, heated up because every time the Western powers decide they want to have a war, generally speaking, it just spills out with... Uh, uh, it's usually resources wars um, and other types of things of that sort, and it just spills out into a wave of refugees. Yep, absolutely. Nearly all the people who are trying to get to Australia from Indonesia, Papua New Guinea or Nauru are victims of wars, and most of those wars are wars that Australia has been um, a participant in. If you are running from Afghanistan or uh, Iraq, you are running from a situation that was created by Australia. Um, and uh, Australia clearly has a responsibility. It's a very rich country to take these people in, and that's why we'll be out campaigning. We'll be hearing, as, as well as from Hussein, speaking from Indonesia, we'll be speaking, uh, hearing from uh, Bethlehem, who was a refugee who spent time 
uh, on Nauru and is now in Australia, and she'll be coming along to speak about what the reality of life is on Nauru if you're a, a detainee. We'll be hearing from Margaret Sinclair, who's a RAC activist, and she went to Indonesia earlier this year and spent a couple of weeks um, moving around and talking directly to the refugees who are trapped there. Um, Danai Bosla is coming from the Victor- Victorian Tribal Council, and Tim Reid, who is the state MP for Brunswick for the Greens, he'll be speaking as well. So it's a powerful lineup of speakers. People who turn up at two o'clock at the State Library today, I'm sure, will learn a lot. And I think it's worth adding. Right now, we're not just angry with the government over these three sets of offshore refugees. We are hopping mad because of the disgraceful way the government has responded to the High Court decision. Oh, I know. Which has freed some 80 or so men from detention. Um, And Labour, with the backing of the Liberals, in fact, actually, with the urging of the Liberals, has rushed through the most draconian legislation, um, which is completely racist. It, 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 It only works on the basis that it applies foreigners. Um, because just to remind remind listeners, there are, in fact, hundreds of people in indefinite detention who have served time for criminal offences, although some of them haven't even served time. Some of them have just had their visas cancelled, and they can't be returned to their home countries, and they don't have a visa. So they've been in detention, in some cases, for 10 or 11 years, and the High Court finally said, you can't lock people up indefinitely. Uh, You either have to deport them, and in the case of these people, there is no option for deportation, or you have to free them. And so something like 80 or so men have been freed so far. And, of course, the media has gone mad because a handful of these people have committed serious crimes. But people who commit serious crimes get punished for them. They go to jail. They get released from jail. And then, all things being equal, they get on and rebuild their lives. But these people, because they don't have citizenship, because they're uh, being locked up in detention under the 501 provision, um, these, these men are being treated completely differently from Australians. And Labor has really collapsed under the weight of a, a completely racist scare campaign that all these people are a terrible risk. But they... They weren't released from prison. They were released from detention. Oh, and uh, these people have been in, in detention for, you know, a decade. I mean, it's it's an outrage. The level yeah. of cruelty is really quite hard to express, isn't it? It, it, it is gobsmacking. And um, we've got Claire O'Neill, the Home Affairs Minister, who is really in charge of this entire process. I mean, the more I look at her, the more I think she's morphing into the Bronwyn Bishop of, of oh the Labour Party. She is mean and nasty, and has said if she had her way, all these people would be back in detention, which means locked up for life. Locked oh, no, up it's just for outrageous. Life. And, oh. and the ones who committed crimes and went to prison have done their time. Anybody else, you do your time and you come out and you might be on the sex offenders register or you might have probation or officers looking you know, in, into your life, but you're, but you're out. But when you are a non-citizen, you are treated worse than an animal. 
It's just outrageous. It's just outrageous. Anyway, I can um, I uh, doff my hat to you as a speak out in uh, Indonesia, Australia's biggest offshore detention centre. But obviously, so many more things that people should be aware of. The refugee issue is not over, uh, and uh, your rally is at uh, two p.m. at the State Library steps. Thanks. Thanks very much. I look forward to welcoming people there. Thanks for talking to me today, David. No worries. Thank you. Yeah, it's all pretty outrageous, isn't it? You go off and you uh, muck up a person's country and then bleat that uh, it's outrageous that they should be uh, asking for... um, uh, Oh, there's too many things to even think about. Uh, Don't forget the uh, rally tomorrow uh, at uh, the State Library steps as well, which is at 12, and it's uh, pro-Palestinian solidarity rally. Uh, there's an 11 o'clock one today at uh, the um, uh, Bell Street Reserve, corner of uh, Bell Street and Sydney Road, going down to P- Peter Khalil's office at 11. There's a 4pm at Lever's Reserve in Parkville on Monday where the health care workers are raising their voices for their compatriots who are being murdered in Gaza. Uh, the, uh, we've come to the end of the program. Uh, we heard from the Sydney rally November the 12th uh, for Palestine. We went to the student strike for climate. And we heard a rousing voice from that. Uh, we went to the other film festival when we spoke to Fiona Toomey. Don't forget that you can go online to Acme. Cinema 3 for free um, access to that film festival that runs for five days starting on the 23rd. This is the week that was. And, of course, the wonderful George Crumb Festival down at the uh, Abbotsford uh, uh, Convent. Fantastic stuff. We better get out of here. I'll leave with uh, River of Tears by King Kev Carmody because that's just how I feel. And coming up next is Asia-Pacific Currents. There's a cold rain on the autumn wind, a brother murdered in Sydney town. Mark for brother on his supposed eagle covering his home, they gunned him down. We say, oh, 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 gunned him down. Sad rivers of tears to hundred years in the river of fear, gunned him down. They took him out of point-blank range in his home with his small young son. Shot him dead in his marble bed with a pump-action 12-gauge shotgun. Fatherless child, grieving wife, a black fugitive on the run. On the run, two centuries from oppression's loaded guns. We say, oh, 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 Gunned him down. Sad rivers of tears to hundred years in the river. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.